John, I'm one of the elders here, and it's the summertime, so you get to listen to me. Um, thank you. Josh told us a while back that we're going to be going through Psalms, so every elder is taking a Psalm and preaching out of it, which was really exciting to me. Um, one, because he just kind of gave us free reign, which I kind of like that. I was a little bit worried that it was going to be like, you're talking about this, this, and this, go. I don't do well with that. Uh, but he just gave us free reign, and, and the Psalms... Um, I really appreciate, and it's why most people that tell you when you're reading the Bible, you know, you need to incorporate Psalms into your Bible study because they cover the, the whole range of, of human emotion, right? Um, most of the Bible is about the story of Christ and about daily living. The Psalms deal with the emotion of the faith, I feel like. There's, that's, that's the songs. And um, it was hard for me to pick one. I went through several uh, as we were leading up to tonight, but... Um, and I kind of wrote some of them down, some of the, like what I call the finalists. Uh, and <laughs> and I, I, I almost went with each one of these because there's just so many good ones. Psalm 19, where it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. Uh, Psalm 139, for you created my inmost being and knit me together in my mother's womb. Psalm 37, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. Or Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? Um, And then Psalm 16, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Or Psalm 118, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Any of those uh, would preach, right? I mean, they write praise songs about them. Um, But I settled on Psalm 42, and... To me, it's one that speaks not only to my life, but just really where I am at this moment. Um, This is an aspect of the faith that I feel like we don't talk about much. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn. We're going to have it up on the screen. Pull out your app, pull out your Bible, whatever. Turn to Psalm 42. Uh, But like I was saying, this is an aspect of the faith that I feel like we don't talk about much. It's swept under the rug a lot, and it's often not really the, um, the right answer in Sunday school. You know, Uh, we're talking about what, what, Scholars and theologians have called for hundreds of years the dark night of the soul. And really the crux of my sermon, the overall theme is what do you do when the darkness comes? What do you do when you seek and you don't feel like you find? When you feel like you are pursuing God, when you are living out your faith, when you are actively doing the work of the Lord and you feel alone. And some of you may not have experienced that, but I want to tell you it's coming. Every one that has been a Christian for a long period of life, has been acting out their faith for a long period of time, has experienced some form of this dark night. And so I'm not going to go into a philosophical discussion on what, why, why that happens. I don't know. I don't know why sometimes Christians have felt that God has turned his back on them and left them to work it alone. I don't know why that happens. I can think of a lot of what I would consider good reasons, but I don't know the answers. I want to talk tonight about how do you live those experiences well? How do you glorify God in those moments 
when you feel like you're just not feeling it. Either something happened and you're devastated and you feel like, God, how could you have let this happen? Where are you? Or you're just apathetic. Maybe you just don't feel it as much as you used to or, or you just don't feel it as much as you think you should. R.C. Sproul wrote, The Dark Night of the Soul. This phenomenon describes a malady that, is the, that the greatest of Christians have suffered from time to time. It was the malady that provoked David to soak his pillow with tears. It was the malady that earned for Jeremiah the sobriquet, the weeping prophet. And it was the malady that so afflicted Martin Luther that his melancholy threatened to destroy him. This is no ordinary fit of depression, but it is a depression that is linked to a crisis of faith. A crisis that comes when one senses the absence of God or gives rise to a feeling of abandonment by him. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like, where are you? God, where are you in this? Where are you in my, and and it might be that you're doing something incredible. You might be doing awesome work for the Lord and you just feel like you're going it alone. Or you're just not feeling it at all. You're just in that, that place of apathy. Turn with me to Psalm 42, if you haven't already. The heading that the um, editors of this Bible put in on, on mine, it just says, why are, you da- why are you cast down, O my soul? What do you do when you feel like your soul is downcast? Let's read through. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him. My salvation and my song. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. And at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy. As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. A bit of background on this psalm. It was likely written during the exile, right? So when the Jews were outside of Israel, they were in Babylon. And so therefore they were outside of the temple and back then, outside of the presence of God, right? The presence of God existed in the Holy of Holies. They were separated from the temple, and they were longing to be back. They kept looking back, saying, God, how could, you, how could we be here? Where are you? What, we're, we're away from you. We want to be with you, God. Bless us. Bring us back into your presence. And you can sense that in this writing. This guy is depressed. This is not a happy psalm. But it's a psalm of hope all the same, because there's a chorus, um, and, it's, and it, he says it again in verse 11. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. And that's where we want to be. This guy is spiritually thirsty, and he uses some thick imagery, right? He uses deep, troubling imagery. He uses the deer 
panting for water, possibly running from a hunter or just dying of thirst. He longs for that stream. And that's the imagery he uses for his thirst for God. And so my first question is, have you ever thirsted for God that much? Where you felt like you were going to die if you didn't get that drink? Have you been in that situation where you longed to be in his presence as much as this psalmist? Because that's the life of faith he's called us to. We need to seek God like this psalmist is seeking him here. We need to long for him as the deer pants for the flowing stream. Verse 3, he says, my tears have been my food. He is so sad and grieved that he can't eat, he can't sleep. His only sustenance comes when the tears somehow flow into his mouth. That's tough to read, right? Because I don't know that I have ever longed for God that much, where I'm crying myself to sleep at night in those moments when I don't feel his presence. I want to be there, but sometimes I feel like I go the apathy route. I'm like, huh? well, you know, we're just going to keep on going, right? We're going to keep on going, and, 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 and I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to keep doing my thing. I'm going to take, take the reins. And keep rolling, and God will step in when he sees fit. If I'm doing something really wrong, or if God really needs to step in, then he'll do so. But until then, I'm just going to keep, keep treading. That's not what this psalmist does, and that's not the example that we want, we want to follow, right? We want to long for him as the deer pants for streams, and long for him so that the tears are our only food in those moments. That's how much we want God. Uh, verse 7, deep calls to deep. All the breakers of your waves have rushed over me. What he's saying here is a phrase that it, I think, uh, the best I can think of in some of the commentaries I read, say it's kind of like saying when it rains it pours. Or it's just one more thing. This guy feels like God's waves of, of persecution and struggle, excuse me, and struggle are coming over him. Wave after wave after wave. And that's something I feel like we can all relate to, right? Where you feel like it's just one thing after the other. One thing happens, and then boom, another wave hits. You stand up, and boom, another wave hits. And you stand up, and finally you say, God, how can you be in this? How can you be in this if this is the way my life is going? That is the dark night of the soul. And so the question we have to ask is, how are we going to glorify God in those moments? When we feel alone, when we feel crushed, when we feel like wave after wave is coming over us, how can we continue to say, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my life and my God. I'm going to tell you two quick stories about heroes of the faith that dealt with this. I say heroes, titans of the faith that I feel like dealt with this and dealt with it well. And the first is Mother Teresa. I've had a bit of a fascination with Mother Teresa since, I had, since we went to Calcutta the first time and got to see some of her work there. Um, she was pretty impressive because <laughs> uh, I, I really believe that Calcutta, India is a tough place to minister. I mean, it, you see, it's, it's hard to see God's work in Calcutta and she did it for 50 plus years. Um, I, I don't know how she, in 1946, she felt the call of God into ministry. She knew she wanted to serve the poor. And so she did. So she left, I believe Albania is where she was from. She went to Calcutta, India, started working in a school. Four years into her ministry, she wrote this. And this, she was sold out for the faith. She said, Lord, my God, who am I that you should forsake me? The child of your love and now become as the most hated one. The one you have thrown away as unwanted, unloved. I call, I cling, I want, and there is no one to answer. 
No one on whom I can cling. No, no one. Alone. I'm told God loves me, and yet the reality of the darkness and the coldness and the emptiness is so great that nothing touches my soul. After uh, Mother Teresa died in 1997, they released a lot of her memoirs and notes and letters that she had written. And what they found was that this type of, of writing permeated her life. She experienced the dark night of the soul for 50 years. She struggled with it every day. And this is a woman, rather, if, if it had been me, I like to think I would have packed it up and gone back home, changed professions, done something else, right? Because if I felt like that, what she just wrote, I would question everything about my calling, but she didn't. In 1952, she opened what is known today as the Home for the Dying. Mother Teresa decided that people in Calcutta needed to know in their dying days that they mattered, that they were loved, that they were cared for, and that they die with dignity. And that's what she did. She ministered to people with horrible diseases. She ministered to the poor of the poor for 50-plus years. And all the while, she wrote memoirs and diary journals like that. She felt alone the entire time. I'm not saying there were, weren't good days, but deep in her soul, she felt this loneliness that could not be quenched. And I just wonder, how would I deal with that? How would I act if that was my experience? But she kept going. And after she died, a secular writer for the Washington Post wrote this. And I was reading kind of about her, and it really struck me. He wrote, through her pain-filled letters, Mother Teresa offers this assurance. Even when all we have to offer is ashes and all we feel is emptiness, something beautiful may come of it in the end. And I hope that I challenge you, above all else, we're going to talk about what to do in those moments and, and how God doesn't change and how God is still on his throne. We're going to talk about all that. But if I can challenge you with anything, it is to keep going. If you find yourself in the dark night of the soul, keep on going. Um, and so, so we're going to talk a little bit about how to get out of it. Look back to verse 6. The psalmist says in verse 6, And my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and of Mount Mizar. Now, when, 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 you, when you prepare for a sermon, you're supposed to go through the text. And then there's commentaries galore. And you're supposed to do a whole lot of studying and find out exactly what he's talking about in each of these points. And I've read commentary after commentary. No one knows what he's talking about. In these points, no one knows what they think is, and, and there's just a lot of speculation, but what they think is that because he was exiled, right, that he was looking back and remembering things from Israel, and he was writing things that, you know, from the land of Jordan and Mount Mizar, that those were pe- things that people would, would, that, that would strike their memory, that they, would, that they would remember, oh yeah, Mount Mizar, he's talking about Jerusalem, I long for that too. But what I like to think is he is talking about an Ebenezer here. Okay, and I know y'all know that song, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, where he says, here I raise my Ebenezer, right? And that's another thing that you may not know what that means, but it comes from 1 Samuel. And in 1 Samuel, go, we're not going to read it tonight, but that was a time when God showed up for the Israelites, okay? They were fighting the Philistines, as they often found themselves doing, and God showed up and won the battle for him, right? And so Samuel raised what he called an Ebenezer. He raised a stone. And put up basically a monument for what God did that day. So that in the future, generations and generations, 
could look back and say, you see that stone? That's how we know God was faith. God is faithful because he was faithful on that day. He can be faithful today, right? That's the point, right? That's why Samuel did that. And supposedly he did that all over Israel, raised these Ebenezer's. Okay. And that's what I think the psalmist is saying here. He's in this dark night of the soul. And so I like to think that the land of Jordan, of Hermon from Mount Mizar, those are times when this psalmist saw God. Okay. Those are times when this person said, that's a point in my life where God was faithful. So when you find yourself in the dark night of the soul, where you feel alone, where you can't feel God's presence, you feel like it's all for nothing, look to your Ebenezer's. Okay. Find someone that you trust, your Bible study leader, someone that you have known, has seen you walk out your faith and say, look, tell me, get a pen and a pad and tell me when you have seen God's faithfulness in my life and write it down, frame it, put it on your wall, have something that you can look to and say, that is a point in my life where I know God was faithful for me. And so if he was faithful then, He's going to be faithful now. And if you keep doing that, if you keep finding those Ebenezer's in your life, then I promise you, you are going to learn to trust in the faithfulness of God, despite your current circumstances, despite how you feel right now. For me, I I can, I can name several, but one I'm going to tell you about is when my wife, Blair, who's here today, she's incredible. And she loves, loves when I use her in my sermons, she loves it. Um, we, started dating at a young age. I was, think I was like probably 20, maybe 21. She was 18. And, uh, we, we dated for a little while and it kind of came time where we were like, you know, maybe thinking about taking that next step. And I was petrified of taking that next step. Right. And I think a lot of, I think Christian guys, especially fall into this trap of like, you know, is she, is she the one, you know, should I, should I make that move? Should I tell, you know, what if God has somebody that's totally awesome that I haven't even met yet? And they, they're just so scared of taking that step. And Blair is incredible. That's not what I'm saying. Oh, I, I wish, I wish I could have taken a picture of the audience. Every girl's face was like, but y'all know what I'm saying. Everybody goes through that where you're like, oh man, this is a big deal. Lord, are you in there? Are you sure? Are you in this? Are you sure? And I can remember praying in those moments where I was like, God, I don't know. I don't know. I can remember praying, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust that you are in this relationship and that it is about commitment and we are going to see it through. And now we've been married 10 years next summer and we have a a wonderful marriage and three wonderful kids. And I can look back on my life. I can look back in those times of struggle and I can say, you know what? God was faithful. Y'all should have known 22 year old John Ringo. He was, he was not he was not uh, as solid as he is today. And, and so I can look back and say, God took this kid and brought him with that woman. And he knew what he was doing then. And so he knows what he's, he knows what he's doing now. That's one of mine. You need to find yours and look back over your faith. Find where God is faithful. Remind yourself of those times. Second thing, talk to yourself. Talk to yourself. What do you mean? In verse 5, why are you cast down, O my soul? Verse 11, why are you cast down, O my soul? Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote a book called Spiritual Depression. And C.J. Mahaney preached a sermon on spiritual depression. And he used Psalm 42. If you have an hour and a half of downtime, give it a listen. It is thick. Um, But they talked about how we need to take thoughts captive. That if you let yourself talk to you, 
then you will stay in those valleys. You will stay in those ruts. You have to take those moments captive and talk to yourself. In the book, Spiritual Depression, he writes this. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they are talking to you. They bring back the problems of yesterday, etc. Somebody is talking. Who is this? Yourself is talking to you. Now this man, talking about Psalm 42, this man, his man's treatment of those moments was this. Instead of allowing his self to talk to him, he started talking to himself. Why are you cast down, O my soul, he asks. His soul had been depressing him, crushing him. He stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I'm going to speak to you now. You want to come out of those moments, of those ruts. You remember truth and you speak it to yourself. You have a thought that may be bringing you down. You say, you know what? That's a lie. No, here's the truth I know. You start looking back to those Ebenezer's. You remember scripture. You start speaking truth into your own life. And if you can't do it, find someone who can. I can recommend a bunch of them in this room. But there are, you need to have truth spoken into your lives in those, in those moments where you feel down. This is crucial. We cannot be passive and expect to just kind of wake up. You take those thoughts captive every day, day in, day out, and you're going to find that the morning's going to come. The darkness will not last forever. You will say, I know God is faithful, and I know he will walk with me all the days of my life. Most people don't do that. We just kind of believe the lie. We let ourselves, our flesh, continue to talk to us and control our thoughts. Take those thoughts captive. And the last point, and I'm wrapping up because I know it is hot. The last point, if you find yourself in the dark night of the soul, how you get out of it, you sing. Verse 8, by day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I know that may sound dumb, that you find yourself in a spiritual dark spot, dark night of the soul, a little bit of a depression, that somebody sitting on a stool would tell you to sing. But trust me, okay? It, I'm telling you, it works. I'm going to use Blair again. She's had some times where she's experienced the valley, and this is something that she does all the time. One of them, that song, Ever Be, I don't know if y'all know that song, was on her heart. Your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. Your pra- and it like rolls on repeat over and over. She would sing that all over our house because it works. There's something about finding a song that speaks truth, that means something to you, and singing it. You will wake up. You will remember God's faithfulness like you wouldn't think was possible. Last story about how this kind of relates. It's about a guy by the name of Horatio Spafford. Most of y'all may not know this man, but I promise you, you know his work. Horatio Spafford was a lawyer, like the hero of any good story usually is. (laughs) And he was a wealthy man that lived in the city of Chicago after the Civil War. Heavily invested in Chicago real estate, very successful, uh, very strong Christian, Horatio. He loved Jesus, and his family did too. And so he was heavily invested in the, in the, the real estate market in, in Chicago, living his awesome life. And the great fire of Chicago happens in 1871, burns almost all of downtown Chicago, devastated the city, left thousands as refugees, homeless, needy. Um, rather than pack it up like all his rich friends did and leave Chicago, Horatio said, no, we are going to stay. We're going to minister. 
We're going to meet needs, and we're going to do it as long as it takes. So he and his wife, Anna, had four little girls. They start ministering in the city of Chicago. They opened soup kitchens. They donated a large chunk of their wealth, and they met needs. And they did it day in and day out for two years. Two years comes up, and they were exhausted, okay? And so they decided to take a trip. Horatio's wife, Anna, was from Europe, and so they wanted to go back to Europe for a vacation and uh, see family and rest. As it came time in, in 1873 for their voyage, this is before planes, they were getting on a ship to go across the Atlantic to Europe. Uh, something came up with Horatio's business, right? So he had to stay back. So he sent Anna and the four girls on the trip, and he would meet them in a couple days. Well, the ship, there was a shipwreck. The ship sank. Anna was rescued from some debris she was focused on, but the four daughters, Horatio's four daughters, did not survive. His wife makes her way on the rescue boat to Paris and sends what is now a famous telegram. It simply said, saved alone, what shall I do? So Horatio, um, I don't know why this is, maybe I'm just really hot and I'm tearing up. Uh, Horatio decided that he was going to get on a boat and go get his wife, right? She's over in Paris, both grieving tremendously. So Horatio gets on a boat that follows the same ship channel. And as he was coming over the spot where his wife's boat sank, and his daughters all passed away, four daughters all passed away, the captain of the ship called him up to the bridge and said, hey, I want to show you this spot. I think, I think you need to see it. And so he's standing on the bridge, and he's looking out over this spot where his ship, the ship sank, and it, it greatly moved him. So he pulled out a sheet of paper from his pocket that he had from the hotel the night before, and he wrote these words. When peace likes a, like a river attendeth my way, and when sorrow like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. They say that in his grieving moments for years to come, he would repeat those words over and over and over again. It is well with my soul. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Horatio and his wife, they started over, right? They moved back. They came back home. They had another son. His son, years later, died of scarlet fever. And at that point, and this is to me is the worst part of the whole story. At that point, the church that he was an elder at decided that there is something evil about this man. God is obviously punishing him. And so they asked his family, his new family, to leave. If there is a person throughout history that was in that dark night of the soul that had every right to just throw it all away and say, I'm done. God, why? Why me? Why this? Why my family? It's this guy. But he didn't. He left. He and his wife heard of a need in Israel, in Jerusalem, where there were needy children. And so they packed it up. They moved with a couple of other like-minded families from America. And they set up shop in Jerusalem and opened what's called the American Colony, where they ministered to the needy. They opened soup kitchens. They provided medical care. And to this day, the Spaffords Children's Center in East Jerusalem still provides medical care and education to the neediest people in East Jerusalem in the West Bank. He kept going. And at the end of his life, he can look back and say God was faithful. He continued to minister. He continued to walk. And all the while, he said, it is well with my soul, God. Whatever my lot, you've taught me to say, it is well with my soul. And that song has gone on to minister to thousands and thousands of people across the century. 
And still to this day, you will find people in their times of grief, of utmost grief, they will find that song and put it on repeat, and they will remember those words. I don't know what your song will be. I don't know what your Ebenezer's are, but you need to find them. And no matter what you do, when you find yourself in the deepest, darkest night of the soul, you have to keep going. I am, I am thankful that this psalm is in the Bible. Because like I said, it's something that we don't like to talk about when we find ourselves alone and apart from God. But it happens to every one of us. And if it hasn't happened to you, it's coming. It's coming. And so you need to be ready to live those days well, to glorify God in even the darkest of days, because the darkness won't last forever. I think we have it on the screen. You don't have to turn there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. It says this, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying the body, in the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Every statement he makes there is qualified, right? Struck down, but not destroyed. Afflicted, but not crushed. No matter how bad it gets, the morning is coming. Because what Jesus Christ did on the cross. So cling to that and keep going. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you so much for tonight. I thank you for this psalm. I thank you that no matter what we go through, no matter how bad, no matter how painful, no matter how devastating, God, you can say I've been there because of the cross. And you can walk with us through that. Lord, I pray that we would look to you. I pray that in these dark moments, Lord, we would continue to honor you. And we would serve you until, we, until the morning comes. God, I pray that you bless us. I pray that you will be glorified in this night. Lord, it's in your name I pray. Amen.